Uh, I've been reading through the book of Mark, just started uh, recently, and uh, this morning I was up to Mark chapter 4, and I wrote down in my little little green book uh, this, it says, Jesus calms the storm. <laughs> yes, so um, I came in today and Meredith said, uh, I want to read the story of Jesus calming the storm. I said, that's all right. <laughs> and uh, Jesus will calm your storm. You know, he, the Holy Spirit will calm your storm. Whatever storm you're in at the moment, he can speak into your storm and calm it. Let's close our eyes. If you're, let's close our eyes. If you're in a storm at the moment, just stand up. We're just going to let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now. If you're in a storm, just stand up. Just where you are. And Holy Spirit, we speak to these people now in your mighty name, and you can still calm storms. You can still calm storms. Whatever storms these people are going through at the moment, we, we bless them in your mighty name and we speak to the storms in their lives and say, be still, be still, be still by the power of your Holy Spirit that's still alive and well and working at the moment. Be still in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 About 40 years ago, roughly, uh, I was in my first rugby trial, and uh, I was playing fullback for some reason. <clears throat> I was a good tackler. I was going all right, except I think it was my first real uh, season in rugby. Big high ball came. I was, I was right on our try line, defending try line. I caught it. All these guys were running at me. So I threw it out, which is not allowed. So I was penalised, about five metres from the line, and they tapped it and scored a try. What a disaster. Uh, Terrible, terrible mistake. But it wasn't the end. Uh, After that, still had roughly ten wonderful years of pretty average rugby (laughs) that I loved winter after winter. And so we're going to look at Numbers chapter 20 and the title of this message is Smashing the Snot Out of a Rock in the Desert. Numbers chapter 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the desert? That we and our livestock... Uh, why did you bring the community into the That we and our livestock should die here 
Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, no figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gashed out in the community and their livestock drunk. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he showed himself holy before them. Let's pray. Lord, we ask, as we look at your scripture today, you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not a good time in Moses' life. Verse 1, it says, that's where uh, his sister died, Miriam. The only woman mentioned out uh, of this account, Miriam. She died there. Sister was gone. Verse 2, the water was gone. There was no water. Also, the confidence of the community was gone. They combined in, again in their opposition against Moses and Aaron, verse 2 and 3. And it happened before, it happened chapter 11, chapter 12, 13. 14, here, uh, and 16. Confidence of the community was gone. Sister was gone. Water was gone. Confidence was gone. The faith was gone. Last week, chapter 16, the opposition had centered on, on Aaron and Moses. It's the same again. The opposition, however is seen here not just as a personality conflict or a leadership conflict. This was seen in the Bible here as opposition against God, disloyalty to God. Verse 13, here at Meribah, the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. Not just a personality issue, it was a loyalty to God issue. It was a faith issue. Sister was gone, water was gone, confidence of the community of, was gone, faith had gone. The fun had gone. There were no treats on the road. 
discontent. No grain, no figs, no grapevines, no pomegranates. Verse 5. How can you go on a road trip without pomegranates? The, the fruit that was mentioned here, by the way, is exactly the same fruit that was mentioned that the reconnaissance crew saw in Numbers 13 in the Promised Land when they went over. Over there in the Promised Land, there were figs, grapevines, and pomegranates. But here the people complain. There's no figs, grapevines, pomegranates. The the called-out people of God had quite a consumer faith. Consumer style of faith, by the way, is not new. Consumer style faith has been around a long time. They were consumerist pilgrims. They wanted treats on their travels, just like the Pilkington children. The, The desert community wanted the journey of faith to be fun. But the fun had gone. Poor Moses and Aaron. The confidence gone, sister gone, no water gone, treats gone, no fun. That's gone. And by the way, uh, this happens. You know that there are times in our lives where we are way more vulnerable than others. And it's when there's a whole lot of things or some of these things come against us. You know, when we're, we're, when we're hit by grief or disappointment or poverty or prosperity. And this helps us explain, uh, helps us understand the failure that we're going to see of Moses here. It helps explain it, but it does not excuse it. And so I want us to just be aware in our lives that there are times um, that are way more, we are way more vulnerable than others. And just be aware of those. It might be, you know, this is not a good time for me to go onto the computer tonight. All right? Stuff like that. Uh, I may not be at my best writing a reply to this email right now or replying to this text. There are times that we are more vulnerable to, f- to moral failure than others. And and let's be aware of that. And what do you do when all that comes at you? We're going to look at Moses' response in detail. And we're going to break it down and give it marks out of 10. uh, 10, And to do with body parts. And the way Moses and Aaron started dealing with it was really good. They went to God with their ears. They went to God. They had this, this habit of theirs, even as Bridget uh, explained before, you know, when, when something came at them, they went to God and listened to God as to what the Lord was saying. Their ears were great. They went and inquired of the Lord. Verse 6, they were humble, prostrated themselves. The people are against them, but the Lord is for them. And temptation, rather than than put their ears on, would have been to get their claws out against the people. But what they did was just went before the Lord, listened to the Lord, first off. Ears were good, 10 out of 10. Their feet were good. Moses goes to the rock, as God had said. Tick, 10 out of 10. Lips, cross. Zero out of ten. 
God had said, go to the rock and speak to the rock. And God had said that in a similar situation, Exodus 17. But here, Moses gets to the rock, and instead of speaking to the rock, he spins around to the people and lets rip on them and says, listen, you pack of rebels. God had not said, rip into the people. He had said, speak to the rock. Whoops, zero out of ten. Arms. Two out of ten, I gave it. Moses goes to the rock, carries the, the stick, the staff, but instead of speaking to the rock, as God had said, he tries to smash the snot out of the rock with a stick. Boom, boom. God did not say, go to the rock and smash the snot out of the rock with your stick. God had said, go to the rock and speak to the rock. Hearts, one out of ten, probably lukewarm at best. The way God describes the people is this. God describes them as the assembly and as the community. Verse 7, 8, 12. Moses, in comparison, he describes them as the rebels. Verse 10. Moses' heart for the community of faith was way different than God's heart for the, for the people at that stage. Uh, Moses was cold-hearted, angry, critical. Did God know that the people were consumerists? Yeah, he did. Did God know that the people were ungrateful? Yeah. He did. Did God know that they were deliberately forgetful? Yep. Did God know they lacked faith? Yes. Did God know they were a pack of ungrateful, consumerist, forgetful, faithful, faithless rebels? Yes, he did. But did God call them a pack of ungrateful, consumerist, forgetful, faithless rebels? No, he didn't. Moses' heart was way different than God's heart. So Moses has failed at this stage. He stuffed up. He smashed the snot out of the rock in the desert, and God had just told him to go and talk to the rock. And this was very costly for Moses. Verse 12, it says, This is what actually stopped Moses entering into the promised land. And you might want to call it partial obedience. But partial obedience is actually disobedience, posing as obedience. Partial obedience is not 50% a pass. No, that is disobedience. The prophet Samuel says to Saul, you were told to destroy everything, all the animals. And Saul says, yep, we did. We just saved the best uh, sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel says, you were told to destroy everything. And what is the sound of this bleating in my ears? Partial obedience posing as obedience actually is disobedience. Two more things about disobedience to God. Sometimes it works. Results still occur. You know, water still came out of the rock. 
in the grace of God, he still gave water to the people. Yeah, I don't know about you, you ever had that thought, um, Lord, why are you still using those people? They are dodgy. He is sketchy. But the Lord still does. And it's strange, but sometimes the Lord still uses dodgy and sketchy people. Uh, Romans eleven twenty nine says this, His gifts and His call are irre- irrevocable. So sometimes God will give gifts, abilities, and just because people go through a sketchy time or become whatever, God does not always yank that gift off them. And it's confusing, but sometimes God still, in his grace, uses people. Second thing, disobedience has consequences. Moses and Aaron would not enter the promised land, verse 12. And some would say that Moses, at this stage, was being authentic and true to himself. You know, he, Moses was not happy, and so he didn't pretend that he was happy. And so he's being authentic. But God did not ask Moses to be authentic in the way we use authentic in our 21st century way. God asked Moses to honor him in front of the people. That's what God said. Honor me in front of the people. To trust God, not to try and smash the snot out of a rock with a stick in the desert. And it actually doesn't matter what we call it, it's what God calls it that that matters. And God here at this point calls it a really big, a very big, a huge stuff up. Moses stuffs up. He was the community's leader and he stuffed up. And whether in a job or in in a ministry or as a parent, any kind of leadership, there's two parts to leadership. There is the backstage and there is the front stage. There is behind the curtain and there's in front of the curtain. And at the backstage, behind the curtain, as a leader, whether it's parent or in job or ministry, whatever it is, behind the stage, there's a backstage, and that's where you learn your lines, you practice your words, you, uh, you try out the microphone, you meet your collaborators who's going to work with you. You have those whispered parental conversations in bed. Pray, working things out, working out the sequence, planning. But the front stage, in front of the curtain, that is real as well. That is part of the job too, in front of the curtain. And in front of the rock, in front of the people, God had asked Moses to put his sadness, to put his grief, to put his anger, to put his frustration, his unfulfilled desires, the grief, the deep grief for his sister to the side, and for Moses to do what God had asked him to do. To speak to the rock. Not yell at the people. Not tear strips off the people. Not smash this. Not out of the rock with a stick. You know, the rock is a symbol of God's grace and kindness. 1 Corinthians 10 picks that up. And Moses was expected by God to honor him in front of the people and to act 
in an appropriate and disciplined fashion and speak quietly to the rock. It shows God's power and mercy in front of the people by speaking to the rock and honoring God in front of the rock, in front of the people, in front of the curtain. Honor. Honor. Verse 12. Honor. You know, in our day and age, we find that the concept of honor pretty hard, eh? Uh, you know, amazing to us after 40 years of toil in the desert that a little lapse of honoring God here, this is a thing that, that God says would keep Moses out of the promised land. And the reason we find that hard is that we actually don't really get the concept of honor. I reckon if any people in the world find it the hardest to understand honor, it's us. Uh, our, our place and time, uh, wealthy, educated, individualistic Westerners. But other people in other parts of the world, they understand honor easier. And I'm going to give you some examples. Because it's real important to get honor. We've got to get honor. If we don't get honor, we do not get God. We've got to get honor. So here's some, some experiences of other, from other parts of the world. Our next door neighbor in West Africa, a wonderful Muslim man called Ali. And he was our landlord and our host. He looked after us. And one day, I remember, we were, I was fixing the gate and I was dressed in my work clothes, uh, longs, but had rips in, uh, t-shirt, old t-shirt. I was fixing the gate, and then I needed, it was a wooden gate, I needed something down in town. So instead of getting changed, I just walked downtown. And the one and only time that Ali told us off was for that. Because he heard that the Westerners, Tubakube, that he was hosting, one of them walked downtown looking rough, looking like a crazy man walking in his rough-looking clothes in town. And that was incredibly dishonoring to him. And he told me so. <laughs> so that was Ali, Hawa. Before we came back to have um, Isaac, Shah was pregnant with Isaac, and we had different um, workers. We were spreading the money around the town. <laughs> and one of the la- and people didn't have washing machines. They had helpers, wash ladies. And so we... Our wash lady, her name was Hawa, and Shah was paying out the different workers, and um, and so she gave uh, Hawa a thousand CFR, um, which was about three dollars New Zealand dollars, and um, which was a you know average sort of gift as well as all her other wages, and uh, Hawa said, "I want to come back and visit you in the afternoon." And so she went home after rest hour, had a sleep, got beautifully dressed up, uh, brought her children, and she had a black plastic bag. And in that plastic bag, she had two sets of jandals. One, one pair of jandals cost $500. And she had two. She had spent her whole thousand CFR she said to Shah, this is for you 
one pair, and this is for your mother. See, honor. We, we find honor hard, but not everyone finds honor hard. Adama. Adama was our host. We had a, a, a little house in the town. We had a little house five kilometers down the road. It was a mud brick house. We go and stay there um, in the village there, Beribella. And, and Adama was an old guy. He's in his 60s. He was our host there. And visit, I'd visit about once a week. And when it was time, stay over sometimes in the house. And when it was time to go, uh, what I had to do culturally was, um, I'd say this, uh, if you agree, ask that you would uh, give me the road. That's literally what it means. But what it, what it means is that um, as, my, as the host of me, is it possible that I'm allowed to leave now? <laughs> I don't just say, yep, yeah, see you later. It was, as, uh, as your guest, would you allow me to leave your village now? And sometimes he'd say, are you love on the wood? Yes, I allow you to go. Sometimes he'd say, bendai tafan, which means, bendu uh, is a verb that means um, cooked. And tafon is not yet. So that means, no, you are not cooked yet. <laughs> uh, it's not time for you to go. I won't allow you to go. See, uh, but that's the way you had to do it there. Because that's, that's about honor. Uh, Wilson, when I was, um, started trying to learn Māori, uh, one of our... He's a tuhoi, he was a um, tuhoi guy, a lovely guy, beautiful voice, his name was Wilson, and one of our tutors. We had, we had to go down to, um, it was down in Wellington, to the city council. They were doing some sort of meeting there, and so our polytech course went down there to support that. And for some reason, um, and he was a fluent speaker, Wilson, but he had a beautiful, clean, shaven face, he was probably in his 30s, but he looked like he was in his 20s. And so he got up to speak for us. And as he started speaking, one of the old guys from the city council, fully decked out in a suit and tie, he said this, mean, And that means, who are you? And what it meant culturally was, who are you, young man, to deem it appropriate to stand up and speak to me. Now, I think things have progressed a bit, but old-style Māori tanga is a bit like that, that um, you have your place. You have your place. And it's about honour. Honour is very important in the kingdom of God and in the faith community. To really get God, we need to get honor. And I'm, I'm really stoked, by the way, you honored our guests uh, two weeks ago when they came. Just, that was fantastic. Thank you. And you brought your best with worship and food and the different things you did. I thank you for that, the way you, you honored them. Um, and we continue to promote honor as part of the sacred assembly. In Te Reo Māori, it's Te Hunga Tapu, uh, assembly that is holy. 
set apart. It's not law. It's not common. It's something special, something tapu about God's chosen people. And we need to keep honoring it in every single way that we can. We're not going to treat it as lightweight. Uh, Victoria Rankin said, In the vineyard, we say we are, we are relaxed, but not casual. It's like a, a duck in a pond. It looks peaceful on top, but underneath, there's little legs paddling up a storm. So at times when something special is going on, we're not going to be um, casual about it. So like with Bay's uh, or here, as we're welcoming, um, you know, that's an appropriate time just to stay there and not come in and talking and making a, a lot of noise, okay? And when um, we had the little kids, when they started and doing their song the very first time, you know, that would be appropriate time just to be, just hold off a moment and wait till appropriate time to come in very quietly and to honour them and their efforts. Um, and if we, uh, if we come in late, you know, it would be really good just to, just to come and sneak in, find a good place and, and just come in quietly. Um, if we're, you know, if we are gifted as extrovert personalities, really good to be here uh, early, like quarter two, ten to ten. Then you know, you know when uh, who comes early? Visitors normally come early because they're nervous. They don't know what it's going to be like. They don't know if they're going to be able to find the car park. So normally the visitors come early. So if we have people that can come early, you get to meet visitors. Now, good if you're extrovert, it's hard if you're not, if you're introvert, you can still come early and just sit and pray, ask the Lord's blessing on our meeting. And we do that all together up at um, room 5 at 9.20 to 9.40. And we can honour our worship team from the, from the, that, have, that have practiced and chosen songs and prayed and um, honour them by giving them our full concentration and our full effort even if we're not great singers, but of getting them behind them, praying for them during the week. And I know, you know, I know that, that babies have an amazing ability to fill their nappies at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday morning. I remember that. Why did you choose now? And toddlers get fixated with wearing a particular pair of shoes to church, and you can only find one of them. And they don't want to go until they find that shoe. And I know that cars, car batteries have that habit of choosing Sunday morning to be flat. And auntie decides to ring just as you're walking out the door going to church. And, you know, I know that. And it's better, way better to come late than not at all. But I do ask us to honour the Hungatapu, the sacred assembly. And if you do have to be late, just, just honour the people and just come in quietly, find the appropriate space and time and do that. See, to get God, we need to get honour. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, in Matthew 6, he said, this is how you can pray. He said, our Father in heaven, e tomato mate te rangi, kia tapu to ingoa. 
May your name be regarded as holy. Kia tapu to ingoa. Okay, here's some homework. Good for homework. For the month of June, how about we all try to confront someone who blasphemes the name of Jesus Christ? And I've done that before, and I've, and I've let it slide over my head as well. I've done both. Where, um, I've had uh, bosses who swear and, and curse the name of Jesus, and I've been able to say, um, you know, that name is really important to me. Would it be uh, possible that you use another swear word and pray <laughs> in place of that word? You know? <laughs> It's hard sometimes, I know. Uh, at soccer, I've, I've heard some of Jesus Christ in the wrong way, and I haven't confronted it. But should we try? Month of June. To, you know, to try that actually honor the name of Jesus, that that name is important to us. That we don't want it used as a swear word. And we don't want to, you know... We can do it in a humble way, eh? And, and, but just that, actually, that name is important to us. Back to Moses. God needed him to honor him in front of the people as holy, and Moses didn't. Maybe, maybe just behind, you know, behind the rock, expressing his frustration would have been okay. But in front of the rock, God needed Moses to have, did not need Moses to have a tanty in front of the people. In front of the rock, God needed Moses to be in control of himself and his emotions and to do what he had been told to do, to honor God as holy. And, and for the holiness and power and mercy of God to be displayed to the people. So Moses stuffed up. Moses stuffed up. Moses stuffed up. But stuffing up does not mean we should give up. Stuffing up does not mean we should give up. We all stuff up at times. That does not mean we should give up. The stuff up for Moses had huge personal consequences. The stuff up meant that he would not enter the promised land with with the others. The dream that he had labored and told for for 40 years, he would not enter in his lifetime. But wait, wait. There is a sequel to the story, Matthew 17, Matthew 17. And it's with Jesus, and Jesus on the hill, and Jesus is talking to two people. And who are they? Elijah and Moses. You see, he did get there. He did get there. Moses missed out the promised land of God, but he did not miss the promised kingdom of God. Because the final destination for the community of faith is not a place, it's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus. And Moses got there. He made it. Moses got to stand next to Jesus and talk face to face with him. And you might stuff up. Yep, it happens. But don't give up. You might lose the odd battle. You might have a tanty when you shouldn't have. But don't give up on the war. Last body part. You know how we're doing the body parts? We, we have not finished. There's one more. The eyes of Moses. Deuteronomy 34, the last chapter of Deuteronomy. The last act of Moses. 
at 120, with his eyes, he does this. He looks over the promised land that he would not enter in his earthly life, but he looks over it. And looking over, that had a, um, a legal process in that, that day and time. Looking over was part of a legal process of acquiring the land. And Hebrews eleven twenty six and 27, the summary of Moses says this, By faith Moses looking ahead, verse 26, By faith Moses looking ahead chose obedience to God rather than the pleasures of Egypt. So in the New Testament, in Hebrews, the summary of, Mo, of Moses is that by looking ahead, he chose obedience to God because he saw him who is invisible. Awesome. Eyes, 10 out of 10. Because the destination is a person, not a place. It is God. It is Jesus. Moses did not turn around and go back to Egypt. This was an almighty stuff up by Moses. But he didn't give up. And he got to stand next to Jesus. So this is it. This is a one point sermon. If you stuff up, don't give up. Shall I say it again? If you stuff up, don't give up. Say it again. If you stuff up, don't give up. Keep looking towards Jesus with eyes of faith. Let's close our eyes. If you're in any sort of leadership, some sort of leadership in your work, amongst your family, uh, ministry, any sort of leadership, can you stand up, please? Just going to pray for you where you are. And Lord, I pray your anointing on these people. And leadership is not easy. Leadership is not easy. And we make mistakes at times. We stuff up at times. But Holy Spirit, I ask your anointing upon each and every one of these ones now. That even when they stuff up and the enemy comes with accusations and they want to give up, they want to go back to Egypt, they say no. They say no. They say no to taking on condemnation that is not from you. They can admit mistakes, but carry on and not give up. So Holy Spirit, bless them now. Bless them now. Bless them now in their roles, Jesus. Bless them, mighty God. Thank you. Okay, um, stay where you are. Can people open their eyes? Just pray a blessing on those around us. Yeah, thank you for these people, Lord. Thank you for these people, who they are and what they're doing. Um, in different work situations, medical situations, educational situations, family situations, bless them now, mighty God, bless them, mighty God. Thank you for them. Thank you that they're not there by accident. And when the enemy comes at them through lips of other people, we say no to false accusations or half-truths that are used against them um, that are not from you. I want to anoint them with your grace and your peace now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. Hallelujah. Almighty God. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great uh, rest of the weekend.